All right, guys. Hey, welcome to New Life. Glad to have everybody here with us. Who's excited to be in church today? Are you? Man, I love that. Thank you so much. We're one church, multiple locations. And so I want to say a big hello to everybody worshiping with us out at our North Platte campus, as well as all of you who are online and attending one of our other venues. So thank you guys so much for being here today. We are uh, actually wrapping up a current teaching series that we entitled uh, Women of the Bible. We've been looking at some incredible stories from women and how God's used them. And I'm just going to say right now, this off the bat, like if you skip over, you know, what women have done in the Bible, you're going to miss some mind-blowing uh, moments of, of God's Word. I mean, some of these women have done some things that are just so courageous. Uh, they are so faith-filled. They, they, they do, they've done things that men, I, don't, I, guess, I bet you men don't even want to do. Uh, wouldn't even, you know, say yes to, but they said yes to it and they saw God do some incredible things. I'm just coming on the record right now. And I'm telling you, man, if you skip over the stories of women in the Bible, you're missing some powerful examples of how God uses people. And I believe God obviously is using both men and women still to this day to accomplish his purpose. Amen. 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 So that's, that's why we're looking at it today. I want to kind of kick it off by, um, just, I, I'm going to tell like three quick stories of three amazing women because all three of these women have some things that really, they tie, they, they tie together. There's some things about their stories that are unique uh, to God's word, actually. And these three stories of these three women are going to give you a perspective of God that I think is really going to impact your life today. So are you ready? So get some paper out, right? Get something out to write on. If you got our bulletin, I think we leave it blank on the backside for a purpose. So you can write on it, okay? Um, so first off, I want, let's talk about a very classic woman in the Bible, Mary, the mother of Jesus, all right? So how many of you guys say, I, I know the story, Mary, the mother of Jesus? I got it. How many, come on, it's, it's good, it's good. Like, put it up, okay. Like many of you would, like if, if you've lived in America, uh, for any length of time, you've heard about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so I'm not going to belabor it, right? I just want to highlight a couple of things. One, we do know this, that she was probably about 13 years old when she became pregnant with Jesus, right? And she was visited by an angel. That's how the message got to her. And one of the interesting things about her being visited by an angel, it, she's 13 years old and she sees an angel. Anybody here ever seen an angel? Okay. Most of the people, if not all of the people in the Bible, when they saw an angel, the angel had to say something to them. Don't be afraid. Why do you think the angel said, don't be afraid? Okay, good. I just want you to know something. Like when I ask questions like that, it's not to make me look smart, right? It's to make you look really smart. Like those are, that's not deep theological stuff. So like the, the angel and someone in the front row nailed it. The angel has to say, don't be afraid because fear is all over them, right? But when the angel shows up to Mary, guess what the angel doesn't say? The angel never says, don't be afraid. I find that to be really interesting. And I think that's something about the demeanor and the character and the person of who Mary is. And then she's told, look, at 13 years old and you're not married, you're pregnant and you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And by the way, you're going to call him Jesus. I don't know how many moms are, are going to appreciate the fact that they don't even get to name their own baby. Mary doesn't even get to name her own baby. There's some moms out here that be like, uh-uh, not in my house. That ain't happening. Like, my husband, he can suggest some names, but in the end, it's my pick. I mean, 
she doesn't even get a pick. And she is given the name. So here's the story. Like, boom, angel shows up in the room. Oh, by the way, you're pregnant. And it's going to be the savior of the world. And you're going to call him Jesus. Now, now that's, that's a big task to take on. What does Mary say to all of that? This is the part that some of you know, and I think it continues to blow my mind. I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. Wow. Wow. I think that if, if an angel showed up and told me half of what the angel told Mary, I still may not even say that statement. Like, that's mind-blowing for this 13-year-old to say, yeah, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything that you've said about me, may it come true. That's a huge statement. That, like, that statement in and of itself is the reason why Mary was chosen. Mary was chosen because she had the ability to put God's agenda ab- above and beyond her own selfish desires. That's why she was chosen. And in that, I think we can walk away with a real practical application for ourselves. That if you ask and you seek God's agenda more than your selfish desire, you too will experience the incredible of God. That's what Mary did. Mary experienced the incredible of God. This young girl giving birth to the Savior of the world and the father of the baby is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to just put that in the classification of incredible all by itself. Is everybody cool with that? Like, that's just incredible all by itself. And what she's giving us here is she's giving us the heart of a person that has the ability to experience the miraculous or the incredible of God. And I want to say to you this, all of you have the ability to experience the miraculous and the incredible of God. It requires requires a humble attribute. I am the Lord's servant. May everything, God, that you have planned for me, may it come true. And what fouls it up all the time is that we have that heart on Sunday, but then Monday through Saturday we live, yeah, but let my desires maybe come first. And when we let our desires come first above God's, the miraculous or the incredible will always be put on hold. So if you're willing today to take the example from Mary and start praying for the incredible of God to happen in your life, I just need to let you know that the incredible of God comes with a hefty price. Think about the price that Mary had to pay to experience the miraculous and the incredible of God. She had to, exper- she had to like pay the price of her image. She had to pay the price of trying to explain this. And she had to pay the price of potentially losing or putting in jeopardy the engagement that she had to Joseph. You know, and then in her day and age in which she lived, a a girl her age who was engaged to be married, who later is is found out to not be a virgin, could have literally have been stoned, put to death. Like that's what she's facing. That's the kind of price. And in the midst of understanding that price, because you know those thoughts went through her head when she's told she's pregnant. How am I going to explain this? You know, is Joseph going to leave me? Am I going to be stoned? All those things went through her head, but she, she deduced those down and she focused in and she said, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything that you said about me come true. That's what it's going to take for us to experience the miraculous and the incredible Put down the fears, put down the selfish desires, put those things aside and still come to the Lord and say, whatever the price is, as hefty as it might be, God, use me for your glory. That's the heart that she had. 
But there's even more to that that I need to like really help you know. And that's the incredible of God might come with a heavy pain. Today, if you're listening to me, whether you're here in our Kearney campus or at our North Platte campus, if you've lost a child and you had to bury a child, no mother should ever have to walk through that type of pain. No father should ever have to walk through that kind of pain. But here's Mary, not knowing, but when she said, I'm your servant, let your will be done, she was going to walk through some heavy pain. She was going to watch her son be brutally beaten to a pulp beyond recognition and then hang his body to become a corpse on a cross, naked before humanity, beaten and blood running down him. She can't even, you know... Picture him as the young boy that she once used to see because this bloody mess of a man is hanging on this cross and that's her son and she watches him die on the cross. She doesn't know he's going to come alive three days from now. So when we say, Lord, here I am. I'm your servant. Let your will be done. The incredible of God comes with a price. God, yes, he'll take you to the mountaintop experience. The baby was born. Everybody celebrated for Mary. That's incredible. She raises this baby and has so many incredible memories of raising Jesus. Yeah, that's great. But God doesn't leave you on the mountaintop. I've climbed many 14ers. There's no life at 14,000 feet. There's not green grass, animals running all over the place. It's rocky. You know, it's a dead place. The air is thin. You don't want to stay up there long. Many people get sick, right, because the the air is so thin. So you can go to the mountain, and you know the best part of it? You can see forever. But after you're up there for an hour and you're looking all over the place, you realize, I can't live here. Life is down in the valley. It's in the valley where the grass grows. It's in the valley where the trees grow. It's in the valley where food is grown. It's in the valley where the animals are running around. It's in the valley where the lake is at. It's in the valley where life is at. God will take you to the mountaintop, but he'll lead you through the valley because that's where most of your life is going to be. The difficult season, but that's where life comes. That's where life is, guys. So should we pray I'm your servant. Use me however you want to. Let your will be done in my life. Knowing that there might be a heavy price, knowing that there might be pain involved, absolutely yes. Every single one of you should pray that prayer just like Mary did. It's a great example for us. Pray the prayer. Trust the Lord. He'll lead you through all of that. But then we have, and these three stories will come together. Then we have Jochebed the mother of Moses. Now, many of you maybe don't even know who Jochebed is. You know who Moses is. There's been a lot of movies that have been made about Moses. Jochebed is the mother of Moses. Moses is born during a very challenging time when the Israelites are slaves to the Egyptians, and Pharaoh is worried about the population um, of the Israelites, the slave population, you know, increasing to a point where he can't control it. Maybe he can't feed it. He can't utilize it. He's afraid that they might well up and then, you know, take off or overthrow his kingdom. And so he's having baby boys who are born slaughtered right after birth. A baby boy is born, killed instantly, and they move on. Girls, fine. Let all the girls be born, but baby boys have to die. So Jacobet is pregnant. She doesn't know what she's going to have. Like back then, you didn't know you're going to have a boy or a girl, right? And so this 
this baby is born and you know the maid servant says it's a boy you can imagine instantaneously how she felt the fear that stirred up inside of her heart the worry that stirred up inside of her heart like what am i going to do now <clears throat> but the bible says this that when she held moses and she looked into his eyes this is exactly what it says she saw something special about him prophetically she saw something special in this baby this is not a normal baby this is not an average baby and it's not because he had some big head okay that's not it it's because she could see god's spirit on him like god is going to do something special with this baby so she keeps the baby and she hides the baby the bible says for three months it's hot it's hard to hide an infant I mean, they sleep a lot. I got it. But when they're not sleeping, they're crying. I mean, that's my experience. I, I know moms are different. Like, moms, you got this, like, special ability to, like, hold the baby and to, like, rock the cry out of it, right? Like, if I hold a baby and the baby doesn't cry, that's a win. If I hold a baby and the baby smiles at me, let's take a selfie of that moment, right? Like, Let's remember that one. Any guys with me on that? You're with me? Okay, all right. You feel that way? You're like, I'm just around a baby, and the baby doesn't cry. I'm like, yes, win. But here she is for three months, man. She tries to hide the baby. And then she finally realizes, I can't hide this baby anymore. So she takes it down to the river, and she forms this like waterproof basket. She puts Moses in it, and then she sticks it amongst the reeds. She's premeditated this. This is not her putting the baby into the river, sending the baby down the river so that the baby dies. She's premeditated some other things. She knows that in this spot, Pharaoh's daughter comes. Now remember, Pharaoh is the one who's killing all of the baby boys. So she takes the baby down to where Pharaoh's daughter comes to bathe and to get water. And she puts her older daughter off in a distance to watch what happens. Sure enough, Pharaoh's daughter comes down, gets the baby, right? And then Jochebed's daughter comes over and says, hey, you found a baby? Hey, do you need a Hebrew, you know, mother to come and to nurse the baby for you? She goes, yes, I need that. Can you help me get that? Absolutely, I can help you get that. And so she goes back and gets her mom, Jochebed. And Jochebed comes to Pharaoh's daughter and says, I can help you with this. And Pharaoh's daughter hands Moses back to Jochebed and says, take him away, feed him. I'll pay you to raise him for the next couple of years. Are you, you got this? I'm going to pay you to raise him for the next couple of years. The twist here in the story is that she has to give the mother, Jochebed, has to give Moses away twice. Here's what the Bible says about it in Exodus 2. Later, when the boy was older, Moses, his mother, Jochebed, brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own. Jochebed gives Moses away two times. I would venture to say that most of us in this room would not have given Moses away the first time. But she does it twice. She teaches us a valuable lesson here. She shows us that we can trust God when he asks us to give up something that is most important and has the greatest value. What to you today has the most value and is most important to you? Whatever it is, God wants it. 
How do, how do you know that, Jeff? How do you know he wants it? Because he's the one who gave it to you. And the only way that that thing or that person or whatever it is, that ability is going to be utilized in a way that get, brings glory to God is if you'll put it in a basket and give it back to God. That's when it's going to be most used. So whatever it is, give it to God. Because Jochebed teaches us and she shows us here the faith of an incredible woman who's able to do it twice. And God rewards her. Moses becomes a great leader. Moses becomes a man who experiences the power of God, the miraculous manifest power of God in a way that few have ever experienced in all of mankind, in all of the time of humanity. Moses experiences the miraculous power of God on display right before his eyes and becomes a faithful hero of the faith. So whatever it is, give it away. Give it back to God. Put it in his hands. Leave it in his hands. You might be surprised at how God uses it from that point on. But Jacobet also shows us that when you feel backed into a corner and you don't know what might be the right option, like she was backed into a corner and she's got this baby and it's three months old and she doesn't know really what to do, I'm just going to tell you what she did doesn't make any logical sense. I'm going to take the baby boy that Pharaoh is trying to kill, and I'm going to, I'm going to try to insert the plate. I'm going to try to place the baby back into Pharaoh's house. Like the guy who's trying to kill Hebrew boys, I'm going to take him and put him back there? Does that even make any logical sense? What makes greater logical sense is that she would, at night, escape and run away with the boy. Or give the boy to some people that travel the lands and they, they trade and they sell. And she would go, take my son, please. I don't want him to die. Take him. Put him into a good home someplace in a far distant land. That would have made it. Now that's, that's a story that makes sense. But what doesn't make sense is that you would put him into the hands of the very family who's trying to kill him. But that's what she does. And in doing so, she models for us that when you're backed into a corner and you don't know what the right move is, God does. And if you'll take time to listen to his voice, he might give you an option that you see, it seems so far out of left field. It seems so illogical, but is the best choice because God's got a purpose and a plan. He sees the future, you don't. You can trust him. Those are incredible lessons from two amazing women just so far, right? One last one, Esther. Esther, it's a whole book in the Old Testament. If you've never read it, please go home today, read it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. It's a quick read. It's, it's an amazing story about an amazing woman at an amazing time who does some incredible things for God. But Esther, here, here's one thing. She's an orphan. Her parents have died. We don't know necessarily how they died, but they've died. She's an orphan. She's being raised by her uncle, and his name is Mordecai. And as she's being raised, she's a second-class citizen in this land in which she's living. She is a Jew living, living with a leadership in, a, in an empire that's a, that is a non-Jewish empire, right? And she's being basically, she's not, not necessarily a slave, but she's, being, she's living in an occupied land with rulers that are over her that are of a different nationality uh, and actually is massive. It goes for multiple different countries that you and me would know today. But here she is, a Jew. She's like a second-class citizen growing up in this. And she becomes, listen, guys, 
She becomes the queen to the king of this empire. Now, you got to go read the whole book to understand how that happens. But this orphan, no mom, no dad, second-class citizen, becomes a queen. And while she's the queen, a genocide is declared against her people, the Jews. A genocide is declared. She's the queen. So Mordecai, her uncle, comes to her and says these words to her in Esther 4. Who knows, Esther, if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Who knows? You were an orphan. People were thinking that nothing good's going to come of you. And now you're the queen. I think God put you there for a moment just like this. And here's, here's what a young woman says. Though it is against the law, I'm going to go see the king. And if I must die, I must die. Powerful. Like bold. She knew that if she walks into the king's court as the queen, and the king hasn't invited her, and the king doesn't, doesn't like recognize her, she could be put to death. Taken out into the courtyard, put to death instantaneously. Nobody comes before the king unless the king requests them. So she goes marching in there, and the king takes his gold scepter and points it at her, which basically says, you have favor. Come. What, what's going on? She was willing to give her life. But first she was willing to use her power and her influence and her authority to bless others. I'm the queen. For such a time as this, God, this is where you put me. I'm, I'm willing to be used by you, even if it means death. And she didn't function out of fear. I know it could mean death, but I'm going to do it anyway. She functions out of incredible faith. And Esther, she never forgot where she came from. So she, she never grew prideful. She didn't get to this place where she's like, I'm the queen. I'm over all of this. Yeah, okay, some people are going to die, but at least I'm not going to die. I'm going to stay quiet because I know that if I walk into the king's court, man, I, I could end up as toast, right? But she never forgets where she came from. She recognized instantaneously, first, I'm a Jew. First, I'm part of my people. And if a genocide is going to happen, I'm not going to sit by quietly, even if it costs me my life. And so she uses her influence to impact others. And she doesn't operate by fear. And all of that comes from the fact that she doesn't forget who she is. So point taken for you and me today. Never forget where God brought you from. Never forget where God brought you from. Don't ever become so prideful that you think that, you know, I'm so far beyond where I came from that you can't go back and love sinners. Because let me tell you where all of us came from. We were all sinners on a journey to spend eternity away from God. And if it was not for Jesus who intersected our journey and saved us by his grace and his death on the cross and resurrection, I, Jeff Baker, would be nobody. And I never want to forget that first, I was a sinner, and I've been saved by grace. Because when you forget where you came from, you're lost where you are. You're going nowhere. You're just walking around a tree called Christianity in circles, making no impact with it, going nowhere, beating down the path until the, t the tree completely dies right in front of your face. When you forget where you came from, when you forget where you came from, you're lost where you are. 
But because Esther remembered who she was, and she didn't let the pride of her position and authority and influence and power go to her head, then she was able to use all of her resources not to bless her, but to bless others. That's the story. That when you remember who you are, sinner saved by grace, then everything that God's blessed you with has the ability to be used for his glory and for his kingdom. So all three of these accounts, all three of these stories, listen carefully, they deal with a child. Okay? Here's the, here's the deal. They deal with a child. A child who was placed in a home, a child who was loved by faithful people, and a child who fulfilled a mission greater than anyone could ever imagine before it became history. All three of them. Jesus, placed in the home of Mary and Joseph. Wasn't, wasn't their biological child. Moses, placed into the home of Pharaoh's daughter. Esther, placed into the home of Mordecai. All of them loved, loved not endured, loved by faithful people, and all three of them lived out a mission that was greater than anyone could ever dream when they were just the orphan, when they were just placed into the home. Let me just say this to you. God's placed people in our lives, and when faithful people match up with the people that God's placed in our lives, incredible things can happen in their, in their life. We got people all around us that God's placed in us, He's placed them in our story, and he's looking for our faithful love just to minister to them, and then amazing things can happen because God works amazing miracles. He works the incredible among faithful people. That's what he does. And today, out of this house, out of this church called New Life, both at our Kearney campus and our North Platte campus, we're sending faithful people on a missions trip this week called Royal Family Kids Camp. And I don't even know what the numbers are. But it, it, there's a lot of people going on this week-long missions trip where they're going to be loving, faithful people loving the abused, neglected, and abandoned children of our counties. And I couldn't be more proud of them. They're going to be ministering to children who have been, listen, placed in foster care. All three stories, a child was placed. They're going to be ministering to children that are placed when we use the terminology, a child placed in foster care, instantaneously, without even recognizing it and not wanting to do it, we judge those and we lower the expectation of what they'll ever become. We should never, we should never think in those, th that capacity. We should battle that. We should fight against it because those three were placed in homes and they became powerful leaders for the kingdom of God. And today, our people are going to go out and they're going to be ministering for a week long. Why am I telling you that? Because I need you to be praying for them. Because we've commissioned some of them at a Kearney campus in the first service, and we're commissioning people to go in the second service in North Platte today. These kids, yes, they have an uphill battle to climb. Yeah, I got that. But with God, all things are possible. And nobody, nobody can tell me right now that, you know, what God's amazing plan is for their life that's to come in their future. Nobody can tell me right now, but I know this, that these kids are placed into our home right now. And faithful people are going to minister to them for a week. You know what that tells me? 
Based on what these three stories have just showed me from the Bible, that tells me that I can have the faith to believe that one of them is going to become an incredible mom who raises the next generation to be faithful followers of God and will change the course of her family forever. It tells me that I can believe that one of these children, one of them is going to be a successful entrepreneur that will invest funds into ministries that will see thousands and thousands of people come to know Jesus. It gives me the faith to believe that one of these abused, neglected, and abandoned orphaned children, one of them will become a pastor of a life-giving church. And that one of them will return as a big camper to Royal Family Kids Camp. And just possibly, audaciously believe with me that one of them just might be the future director of Royal Family Kids Camp. Because they were placed in our life and faithful people loved them. And God works miraculous, the incredible, through faithful people. The question is, who's placed in your life? We go and we love those who are placed in our life. And we're going to go and we're going to serve these kids in Royal Family Kids Camp, the underprivileged, not because it makes us look good. And not because of compassion only. We should love those in Jesus' name. Here's the premise I want you to get today. Mark 9, I tell you the truth. Anyone, Jesus says, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Please hear me. We don't, compassion and love by themselves is not enough. I know that we live in a society right now where compassion and love and just embrace differences and every, everything in the world is going to be fine and it's all going to be great and peaceful. I'm telling you today, love and compassion are not enough. Jesus never said, hey, give a cup of water out of love and compassion. He said, when you give a cup of water in my name, then, you, then you're doing it in compassion and love. But church, never forget the people God put in your life. In Jesus' name, you're to reach out to them. It's out of the motive of Christ. It's out of the power of Christ. It's in Jesus' name that lives are transformed, that Esther's become queens, and Moses becomes great leaders, and Jesus is put into a house, and he's raised up to be the, he's the son of God, and he works the miraculous, and he saves us from our sins. Never, never forget, it's in Jesus' name. You got that? I'm just going to wrap up with this one last thought. This stood out to me. I was going to tell you, oh, and by the way, we're all orphans adopted by God because that's what the New Testament drives home. But I was like, oh, man, you guys have heard that before. Here's what really stood out to me. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she knew how to pick a really good team. She, she had picked Joseph. And Joseph's an amazing example for us. I mean, I want you to think for a second. Like, Mary, she births Jesus. She's the only human to have ever lived on planet Earth to know without a shadow of a doubt, Holy Spirit, this is your child. Every one of us, including Joseph, has to believe by faith. Mary, she's the one and only one that can say, I can guarantee you this baby is from the Holy Spirit. Right? Are you following me on that? Or do I need to get a little bit more detailed? Okay, all right, we're good, all right. You got it. So try being Joseph in the story. Just try being Joseph. So here's this baby, Jesus, that's born. Does the baby look like Joseph or not? 
Wow, that's a good question. Like the whole time, he's faithful to her because, man, an angel did come and visit him. But you know how things are, right? You have this high mountaintop moment, but you're living in the valley. You forget what the mountaintop moment was like. And so try being Joseph, right? He's, he's believing what Mary said, and now he is loving this child. Here, here's what the Bible would indicate to us based on the couple of snapshots that we have. We, we, we would be able to deduce down that Joseph loved Jesus and raised him as if he was his own child. That Joseph played with Jesus and was proud of him. That Joseph trained Jesus and helped him become his very best. And that Joseph, he actually saw Jesus as his very own. What can you get from that? God's going to give you all kinds of things in your life. Blessings and talents and gifts and abilities and platforms of influence and opportunities to serve him with your life. And here's what we need to do. We need to treat every blessing and opportunity and platform as our very own, knowing the whole time we're not the ones that got ourselves here. God gave it to us. But when you treat, when you treat God's gift and his blessing and his platform as your own, you will maximize it. Everybody knows we treat the things that cost us the most the, the best. And when it didn't cost you anything, it's hard to treat it really, really well. So how can you maximize your gifts, talents, and abilities in life in this world? Do what Joseph did. Joseph treated Jesus as if he was his own son. Treat the gift, talent, ability, and platform that God's given you as if it is yours and it costs you a hefty price to get it. And when you do that, you will use what God's given you in a greater way than you ever have before. And here's what will happen. Think about how Mary felt. Mary's sitting underneath a shade tree. Jesus is over here throwing the ball with, uh, Joseph is throwing the ball with Jesus. And they're laughing and they're wrestling around and they're having fun. What's that doing in the heart of the mom? Is the heart of the mom starting to get like, wow, a lot of joy? Think about the time that you know, Joseph took Jesus and took him into the bedroom and tucked him in and read him a story and then prayed for him. And Mary's sitting in the living room and she can hear Joseph loving on Jesus. As if Jesus was his biological own son. She's the one who gave birth to him. She knows where he came from, but Joseph is loving him like his own. Think about the time when she walks by the carpenter shed, and there's Joseph out there teaching Jesus how to use this tool and how to maximize it, and he builds like this little elephant for her, and, she, and he brings it to Mary, and he goes, hey, mommy, mommy, you know, daddy, help me make this for you. Think about how she felt. Think about the joy that was in her heart. Right? Think about the time when she's sitting there and she hears, she hears Joseph training and teaching uh, Jesus. And he's so patient and he's so kind with him. How that makes the mom's heart feel. And then think about the moment when Mary watches Joseph give Jesus an embrace and kiss him on his forehead and tell him, good night, son. Think about how the mom feels at a moment like that. Do you have the imagery of it? Like she knows where Jesus came from. She knows it's not Joseph's son, but it's God's son. But Joseph loves Jesus as his very own. Think about how it makes the mom feel. You got it? Do you have a good picture of that right now? Because that's God's heart toward you when he sees you maximizing and living out all of the gifts, talents, abilities, and maximizing the platforms of influence that he gives you. When he sees you loving those who he placed in your life and you're being faithful, it stirs in his heart incredible joy. 
it stirs in his heart incredible joy. That's a great picture of God's heart toward you today. And you know why we're here this morning? We're not here to get anything from God. We're here to give something to God. We're here to give him our gifts, talents, abilities, and to worship him with all of our heart. We're here to bring God joy today. And so let's practice that. We're just like the child in the story. We're the orphan who left unto ourselves is going to amount to nothing. But we were adopted by Christ. And because of Christ's faithful love in our lives, we too can do incredible things for him. So let's come before him and let's worship him with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind today. And let's give God worship that brings him joy. Why don't you stand with me at both of our campuses and let's pray. Lord, we thank you today that your word holds powerful truth for us. Lord, we thank you for the example of these three children in, in your word and, the, and what they turned out to be because of the faithful love. Your mission being lived through others. Help them become, Lord, the men and the women that you called them to be. Lord, that's, that's an amazing story. And today that's still happening to this very moment. Lord, you've placed people in our lives as you want us to love. And so, Lord, would you give us the power and the ability and the wisdom on how to do that? But today we just come before you. This Sunday, we don't come asking for really anything. We just come to worship you. We come to lift your name up, the name of Jesus to be lifted up above every other name. Lord, we come to bring you joy. Just like Mary would have felt watching Joseph love on Jesus, the gift from God. Lord, when you see us loving the gift that you've given us and using it to bring glory to your name, it fills your heart with joy. And today, may we fill your heart with joy as we worship you. And so it's with that attitude that we choose to lift our voice to you. We choose to lift our hands to you. We even choose in worship to turn our face towards heaven and just, Lord, give you all of our worship today. We know that that brings you glory. It brings you praise. But we know it also brings you great joy. And that's what we want to do with our life is to bring you incredible joy. In Jesus' name, amen.